Galatians 5, verses 1 through 6. Galatians 5, 1 through 6. The Apostle Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, specifically the Galatian Gentiles. The Messiah has liberated us into freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, tell you that if you get circumcised, the Messiah will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets circumcised that he is obligated to keep the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated, cut off, or severed from the Messiah. You have fallen from grace. For by the Spirit we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness from faith. For in the Messiah Yeshua, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith, working through love. May Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts. So, these verses that I have just read are often used in an attempt to abolish or do away with Yahweh's law. And I hope that all of the time that we've spent studying this book has helped you understand these verses even before I explain them to you today. But, I am here to explain them to you and to help you get a better grasp at what the Apostle Paul meant when he wrote this. I believe that is one of the purposes of pastoring teachers, is to help explain and help people to understand. So, last week we covered the idea of being set free from slavery and liberated into freedom. Being liberated and free does not mean that we're free from everything. I quoted Bob Dylan last week. You're going to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord. Everyone is free from something. But at the same time, they're a servant to something. Now, in the case at hand, Paul tells the Galatian Gentiles that they've been liberated. I believe what he's saying in verse 1 is you've been liberated or set free from an abuse or a misuse of the law. And I think that's the yoke of slavery. The way in which the law was being taught by the influencers who we call the Judaizers. Now, I should note here that verses 2 through 12 in Galatians 5 are a pause. Paul gives a pause in his writing. It is like Paul stops his sentence in verse 1 and he adds his thoughts that he feels are pertinent in verses 2 through 12. I think it's because he feels like he needs to hit the high point again one more time before he closes out. And then I think he picks his thought back up from verse 1 in verse 13. Now, let's read them together and it will show how Paul's thought makes more sense. Let's read verse 1 and then let's go straight to verse 13. It says, The Messiah has liberated us into freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. So we even see here in verse 13, the point that I made last week, Paul tells the Galatians that they're free. They've been liberated. But they're not free to do whatever their flesh desires. They are free to do what? Serve one another. He's called you into freedom, therefore serve one another. They're free to serve. Much like the Israelites were freed from the slavery of Egypt, but they were freed or set free in order to do what? Serve Yahweh. So they were liberated into freedom, but that didn't mean they were free to do whatever their flesh wanted to do. They were free to serve the Creator. 
So I think that Paul pauses in 2 through 12 and picks it back up in verse 13 with his thought from verse 1. And we'll eventually get to verse 13 at a later time. Let's look at verse 2 through 6 now, starting at verse 2. I want to read it again. Verse 2 says, Take note. I think that's an exclamation. Some translations say, Behold. Some say, Listen. There's an exclamation point after take note added by the translators. I think it's a good ad there. He says, Listen up. I, Paul, tell you that if you get circumcised, King James says, If ye be circumcised, the Messiah will not benefit you at all. So, For starters, if we just read that verse by itself, and sometimes the verse is quoted by itself, I don't recommend that you always quote verses by themselves. Some verses are one-liners. A lot of them in Proverbs are. But a lot of times people get in trouble by quoting one verse by itself. This is one of those verses you don't want to quote by itself. Because if we quote it by itself and we take it right at face value without understanding the context, we are condemning every single circumcised man in here and in any other congregation. Now, I'm circumcised, and I had all three of my sons circumcised on the eighth day in obedience to the Abrahamic sign of the covenant in Genesis 17. Now, in this, in doing this, have we thrown away the Messiah? What about a male adult who gets circumcised at the suggestion of a physician for medical purposes? Is that... Does that mean that the Messiah is of no benefit to that man? We learn a good lesson here about the damage we do in taking a verse and pulling it away from its context. Now, of course, my sons and I are believers in the Messiah. The Messiah is of great benefit to us. We confess Him. We have been baptized into Him. We believe upon Him as the mediator between us and the Father. And the same goes for a believer in the Messiah who takes the advice of, let's say, a physician, a doctor, and gets circumcised for medical purposes. This verse in Galatians 5.2 does not have anything to do with either of these cases. But you see, it could be taken out of context and made to teach this by using the verse in isolation. Now, some people teach that the verse is condemning being circumcised for religious purposes. I heard that this past week. I do not see that in the context of Galatians either. I don't believe that Paul ever preached against even a Gentile being circumcised for religious reasons. Maybe a Gentile wanted to eat the Passover lamb, so he became circumcised. Maybe a Gentile wanted to take upon himself the covenant in the flesh given to Father Abraham. Maybe he was reading Genesis 17. He said Father Abraham believed and had faith, and then many years later when he was given... The sign of circumcision, he received it as a seal of the righteousness of the faith that he had being yet uncircumcised. And so I want to do what Abraham did. And so the Gentile wants to follow in the footsteps of his father, Abraham. Is the Messiah of no benefit to this Gentile man just because he got himself circumcised for these religious reasons or this religious purpose? I don't think that that's the case. But Paul must mean something here in verse 2. I think that Paul is dealing with a particular false teaching. It's what he calls a false gospel. A teaching that was going around at this time that only a Jew or a Judahite could have salvation. And that particular teaching went on to say that the way that a Gentile, and by Gentile I mean somebody who did not grow up in the Torah, somebody who did not have a mother or a father to teach them the law of Yahweh, and therefore they weren't circumcised on the eighth day. 
They were an outsider, not an insider to the Hebrew faith. But this teaching that only a Jew or a Judite could have salvation went on to say that the way that a Gentile could become a Jew, they weren't saying salvation is not for you at all, but there's a way that you can be saved, and that is by doing this. It's by converting from a heathen to an Israelite. by converting from a Gentile to a Jew. And the way that they would convert was through circumcision. And according to this teaching, if a Gentile male, an adult Gentile male, did not do that, some of the Jewish believers at this time, not all of them, they didn't all believe the same thing, but some of them, of the party of the Pharisees, would say that that Gentile was not saved from his sins. and th- So they would look at somebody like Titus, or they would look at somebody like Cornelius. Both of them had faith in the Messiah, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was even poured out, like on the day of Pentecost, on Cornelius, uncircumcised, and he began to speak in other languages. The Spirit gave him utterance to do so. They would say, that doesn't mean anything He's not saved. He's not one of us until he converts to become a Jew. And the way that you convert is through physical circumcision. So I think what Paul is saying in Galatians 5 verse 2 is this. If a Gentile male receives that particular teaching, the false gospel of being circumcised for the purpose of salvation, the Messiah is of no benefit to that man. In such a case, a man has taken the salvation found in the Messiah. He's, he's already believed in the Messiah. He's already confessed the Messiah. He's already been baptized into the Messiah. But he's taken that salvation and he's set it aside over here and he's saying, that's not good enough. I'm not saved yet. I have to do this particular ritual in order to be forgiven for my sins. Now, it's weird, yet it's understandable how we put our focus on the outside. It's like putting a ring of gold in a pig's snout. Or as we say in our modern times, it's like putting lipstick on a pig. That's not something you do. A pig is a pig, right? It seems silly, but yet we do it all the time with ourselves. And we do it all the time with unbelievers. We focus on the outside of people because it's quick and it's easy and it virtually takes no work, no time, No effort, no labor, no study. It's a result of laziness. It's a result of accepting how somebody looks instead of their heart. It proves oftentimes that we don't desire genuine repentance in a person. We don't desire the long, hard work of years and years of discipleship with people. Make disciples of people. We don't want to do that. Just let them go through a few hoops, change a few outward appearances, And that's good enough for us. So I could take a rank heathen male out in the world that has never known anything about Yahweh. And I could take him and I could make him quit shaving and I could put a set of tassels on him. I could tie a phylactery around his hand and put one between his eyes. I could teach him the Shema in Hebrew. He could say it in Hebrew. But it doesn't mean anything if his heart is not changed. I remember having a friend in high school. I was around 15 to 16 years old, and I was what they called on fire for the Lord. They taught you got to get on fire for the Lord. And, and if anybody was on fire, I was on fire. I wanted everybody else to be on fire like me. 
I wanted everyone to come to church like me. I didn't want to miss a service. And we had services at least three times a week, sometimes four and five times a week. And every time the doors were open, I made sure that I was there and I would sit right there on the front row. And I wanted everybody to sit on the front row with me. I wanted everybody to soak up all that the preacher had to talk about just like me. So I had this buddy of mine that I loved. And he came and sat with me at my request at a Sunday morning church service. And I wasn't sure about his salvation. Uh, he had a church going mama. And she loved him dearly. And this boy would come to church once a month, once every other month. But there was no good fruit. And it's just getting involved with the wrong crowd. And I was worried about him. So I tried to talk to him about the Bible. And cleaning up his act. And so after service we went down to the altar as it was accustomed to do at that particular church. And we prayed with him, and we baptized him, and we ended up shouting and rejoicing. I remember running across the church aisle with him after that. And he came back that night, later that night, because we had a Sunday night service, and he came back that night, he had a haircut, had some fresh cologne on, had some nice clothes, had his shirt tucked in. And I still remember him. I can envision it. You know how you have some memories where it, It's like they never go away and you can see exactly what happened. I can still picture myself standing right there. I know exactly where in the church it was at. And we were talking with a precious older sister in the faith. And I heard him tell this sister, this is the new me. I'm I'm different. I'm new. And part of me was happy for him. But there was another part of me that was disturbed because it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like there was a change. And I was very young at that time, and I was very ignorant on so much of the Bible. But I knew that there something was not right. And what I tried to do, and what my friend was trying to do, was force salvation through works. Listen, brothers and sisters, works, works, fruit, works flow from salvation. But you cannot force salvation through works. You can't force Yahweh to save somebody. Salvation is from the inside and it manifests on the outside. It doesn't happen on the outside and then work its way on the inside. You don't take a pill and get saved. What happens is Yahweh changes your heart and gives you new desires to where you don't desire and you don't long to do what you used to do. And so you're a new creation in Christ. What you do on the outside does not affect the inside. But if a supernatural occurrence takes place on the inside, it will inevitably, without a doubt, affect the outside. The Judaizers in Galatia were trying to force salvation through circumcision. They held that right up higher than anything else. And a lot of them held it up by itself. We'll eventually get to the end of chapter 6 where Paul says that even those of the circumcision party that hammer circumcision, they don't even keep the law themselves. But they desire to get you circumcised so that they can boast in your flesh that I got somebody else saved. Kind of reminds me when I was growing up, they'd stand up in the pulpit and say, we got 32 people saved last week. How in the world do you know? Salvation is not something that you pronounce on somebody. It's not something that you force on somebody through praying a prayer or through getting circumcised or through a work. Salvation happens from the inside out. And you know that a person is truly saved from his sins or her sins because over a period of time, 
they change. They bear forth fruit of righteousness as the end of Galatians 5 talks about. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, and all those things. They bear forth fruit. You see, the person's not the same anymore. They're different. There's something different about him or about her. It's because Yahweh got a hold to their heart and their mind. But the Judaizers held circumcision up, proselyte conversion up as the channel through which a heathen would change his identity. He would go from being a heathen over to a proselyte Israelite. They believed that they were saved by the blood, but not the blood of the Messiah, the blood that came from being circumcised. For a Gentile to receive this teaching and become circumcised for this reason made the Messiah of no effect to that Gentile. Yeshua was of no benefit because the Messiah and all that the Father did through Him was replaced with the act of circumcision. The Gospel stopped being about Yeshua and it became, well, have you converted to become a Jew yet? Have you went through the proselyte conversion? Have you done the letting of the blood? That's what the gospel became to be about. So in verse 3, Paul says, Again I testify to every man who gets circumcised that he is obligated to keep the entire law. Now Paul uses the word again in verse 3 because he's saying the same thing he just said in verse 2 in another way. And that's why he says again. Preachers oftentimes like to repeat themselves. Paul was the same way. Verse 3 is a repetition of verse 2. Every man who gets circumcised in submission to the false teaching and the misuse of the law by the Judaizers is obligated to keep the entire law and the understanding of that is for salvation. As a matter of fact, I would not have any problem with writing italicized words in there for salvation. Translators write italicized words in the Bible all the time for sake of clarification. And I'm going to put my own italicized words here. The understanding is, is obligated to keep the entire law italics for salvation. That's the understanding. That's the context. Every follower, and this is why, every follower of Yahweh is obligated to keep the whole law. At least, at least, let me say this, at least the whole law in the sense of what applies to you as a male or a female, because some laws don't apply to females, they're only for males. Some laws only apply to females and not also for males. Some laws only apply to priests. Some laws only apply to the high priest. You know, the high priest, he couldn't marry a divorced woman, couldn't marry a widow woman. That wasn't for all of the priests, but the, the high priest, Aaron and whoever his successor was, they had certain laws that only applied to them. So we know that every single law doesn't apply to every single person, but nonetheless we are all obligated or at least we're called to obey every area of the law that's applicable to us. And within that requirement or that calling that Yahweh gives us, there's mercy. Inside of the law itself, there's mercy. Yahweh gave His law knowing that you would not keep it perfectly. That's why He instituted the most gracious thing that He could ever do in the sacrificial system. That gracious, loving, mosaic, sacrificial system whereby Yahweh would cleanse the Israelites as pertained to their flesh of their, of their sins and enable them entrance into the, the tabernacle, the holy place. So within the law, there was mercy. Yeshua says in Matthew 23 that mercy is one of the weightier matters of the law. Mercy didn't just come about with this quote-unquote dispensation of grace. 
No, mercy's always been real. Grace has always been real. So within the obligation or the requirement to obey the law, Yahweh knows, look, I know they're not going to do it perfectly, so I'm going to give them a way to be forgiven. That's a gracious, mighty one. So why does Paul place emphasis here on obligation? He says if you, if you get yourself circumcised in obedience to the Judaizer's teaching, why does Paul say you're obligated to observe the entire law? I believe the train of thought is this. If you hold up the right of circumcision as the means of forgiveness... That's the way that you're saved from your sins. That's what you have to do to be forgiven of your sins. If you deem that outward work as what justifies you or puts you in a right relationship with Yahweh, Paul is saying this, what that does with that mindset is it holds you accountable not just to keep that one law for justification, but you're accountable to keep all of the law for justification. And what does that mean? Well, it means that we're doomed. Because you, you and I, the Apostle Paul, we haven't kept the law perfectly, nor will you ever keep it perfectly in your flesh. Not in this body. You'll never keep it perfectly. It's like me telling you that in order for you to be saved from your sins, you've got to jump off the roof of your house and fly to church. You say, Brother Matthew, that's a ridiculous requirement. I could never do that. And that's what Paul is saying. If you hold up an outward work of law as your justification then you're obligated not just to that one, but to all of them for your justification. You're placing yourself under a burden that is impossible to bear. Neither we nor any of our fathers were able to bear that burden. Why do you want to put such a yoke on the neck of anybody? We believe that we're saved in the same way that they are by the grace and the mercy of the Almighty. And that's why he explains in verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. There's the explanation. You who are trying to be forgiven or justified by the law. The issue here is not obedience as an outward flow from salvation, but obedience for the purpose of trying to force fit salvation. This is the difference between justification by the works of the law or justification by faith. One is like me trying to save my friend that I talked about in high school by making him go through the outward motions. The other justification by faith is Yahweh saving a man or a woman and placing faith inside of them, therefore changing them from an old creature into a new creature. And that new creature desires to do what his creator asks of him. So see, faith, genuine faith always produces works, but works don't produce faith. Look at verse 5. It says, For by the Spirit we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness from faith. First time I remember first time I ever read this, especially with that verse. I didn't understand any of it the first time I ever read it, but especially that verse, I thought the verse was out of place. But think about it for a second. For by the Spirit, Paul says, and I take that to mean the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that Yahweh placed in us. It's a portion of Him. It's a measure of His Spirit. And that Spirit causes us to have faith. And in turn, what does it cause us to be? Faithful, righteous, and, and obedient. Faith causes works. James two fourteen through 26 It is by the Spirit that we wait with eagerness for the hope of righteousness, but it's from faith. Now that word righteousness there in verse 5 
is basically the same Greek word as justified in verse 4. And you won't get that from the English, but it's basically the same Greek word. We eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness from what? From faith. Faith is what produces these things. The hope of righteousness, what that is, the hope of righteousness is complete and actual righteousness at the resurrection of our mortal bodies where we'll be completely, personally, actively righteous. That's why Paul says we wait for it, something we're waiting for, the hope of righteousness. And we're waiting. Those of us who have salvation are waiting for that hope of righteousness. And how does it come? It comes from faith, not from works, not from putting a ring of gold in a pig's nose, not from lining people up at the door and handing out tassel sets, not from memorizing a prayer or looking like a Hebrew. That's not how the hope of righteousness comes about. The hope of righteousness comes about only through faith. And genuine faith will produce what needs to be produced in a person. In order for there to be genuine works that Yahweh is pleased with, there must be genuine faith that Yahweh has gifted to a person. That's why anyone who seeks for righteousness apart from having this faith is fallen from grace, Paul says. You are fallen from grace there in verse 4. And let me just briefly mention, it's not in my notes, but it's a big debate about can we lose our salvation? Is once saved, always saved, perseverance of the saints, eternal security, and all of that. And some people will use this verse to say you can fall from grace, meaning you can lose your salvation. Other people say, well, they're, they're a member of the congregation and they fell away from something, but they didn't really possess salvation if they fell away. Based upon the totality of the Scriptures, that's kind of the position I take, that if, if Yahweh does the saving, and man doesn't do the saving, if Yahweh does the saving and He wants to save somebody, He saves somebody perfectly. And so they can't fall away from His salvation. But somebody can be a, a visible member of a congregation and look the part and then fall away. They didn't fall away from genuine salvation. They fell away from an appearance of salvation. But that's not the point of my sermon. The, the point is, is that anyone, anyone who, who accepted this false teaching of the Judaizers was fallen from grace. Whether that means you lost your salvation or you never had it to begin with, either way, you've fallen from grace. The Messiah is of no benefit to you. Verse 6, For in the Messiah Yeshua, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. And this is the title of my sermon, Faith Working Through Love. This is such a great verse. In this vein of thought, in this context that we've been talking about, neither circumcision, being a Hebrew, nor uncircumcision, being an outsider Gentile that wasn't raised in the Torah, Neither of those means anything as it pertains to your salvation and your right standing with the Almighty. What does mean something? What does matter? Paul tells you what matters is faith working through love. Faith is what works. Faith is what produced obedience in Abraham's life. Abraham received the sign of circumcision because he had faith in what Yahweh said and he was really receiving it genuinely. That was faith working through love. Forcing somebody to get circumcised for salvation doesn't mean that there's any faith that's working through love. Doesn't mean that at all. Outward works are beautiful if they are produced by genuine faith. 
If you get circumcised, if you are an adult male and you decide to get circumcised because your heart belongs to Yahweh and you want to obey His commandments, that's faith working through love. That's what matters. Faith working through love. But if somebody just gets circumcised because they think, well, this is what I have to do to forgive my sin. This is the final step right here. What that's trying to do is to earn your salvation. That's trying to merit something before Yahweh. That's thinking that that's what justifies you. Let me put it like this. Maybe you can understand this. If you wear tassels because you love Yahweh and you want to be reminded of His commandments all of the time, that's faith working through love. But if you wear tassels because you want to look like you're saved and you want to think that you're better than everybody else and you want to look down upon everybody that doesn't wear tassels, that's trying to earn your salvation. I knew a fellow one time who he, he, would, he would buck against the tassel text in Numbers 15, 37 through 41 and I would witness to him and we'd talk about the tassels and he said, I just don't th- I think that's done away with and I have the Holy Spirit now to remind me to keep the commandments and he would buck and he would buck and he would buck and, and I would never try to force it on him. You know, I just believe that it's a commandment and we should be obedient to the commandments, right? And then one day, I remember seeing him and he had tassels on. This is probably about after a year of going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he wore those tassels. He said, yeah, I came around. He said, you know, and he said, you'd have been thankful. He said, I, I tore into some brothers the other day that didn't have the tassels on. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. You were just in their position. You were just in their shoes. Not long ago. Now all of a sudden you make a set of tassels and put them on your shirt and you want to condemn everybody that doesn't see things the way you do and doesn't wear tassels the way you do. That's the wrong spirit. Your tassel wearing does not come from a genuine heart, but from, from a desire to make other brothers look bad. See? So there's, there's a way that things can be done that's faith working through love. There's another way that things can be done that's saying, look at me, I'm holier than everybody else. You know, just because somebody looks holy, looks set apart on the outside, doesn't mean that they're a child of Yahweh. It does not mean that. And I believe children of Yahweh will be set apart. But you can fake being a believer. You can fake it. The, the way that you know somebody is genuine is you, you have spent time around them personally, individually, and you've seen them at their worst. You've seen them at their lowest. You've seen them when they're angry. You've seen them when they're mad. You've seen them when they repent. You've seen them when they ask for forgiveness. And you know somebody. I tell people, before you trust a man in his message, examine his life. And you can't examine somebody's life over a computer screen or a Facebook post. You, the way that you examine somebody's life is you, you, you know them personally. You hug them, you can shake their hand. I know Brother Jerry Kendall personally. I know him. I know what he's about. That's how you know faith working through love. Not slapping a set of tassels on somebody. Letting them come in with a five o'clock shadow next week. My brothers in the faith. I'm all for the outward works of the law. I'm all for the tassels. I'm all for the beard. I'm even for the phylacteries. But those are easy things. Anybody can do those things. Let's focus on the more weighty matters like mercy and faith and loving your wife and loving your neighbor as yourself. Those are the hard things. Taking care of the widows and the orphans. The weighty matters of the law. 
Not to leave the other little ones undone, but to put our focus on the weighty matters. Tassel wearing or non-tassel wearing doesn't accomplish anything. (laughs) But what matters is faith working through love. I hope you catch that. My final admonition today for the sermon. Do not settle for the quick fix. Do not believe that you can coerce salvation in yourself or in a person. We are not the Savior. Matthew is not the Savior. We do not create clean hearts in people. Yahweh is salvation. He is the Creator, and He doesn't only create the natural man, He also creates the spiritual man. Anybody that is saved from their sins is saved because Yahweh created a spiritual man or woman. If it was up to you or up to me, we would mess up everything. Thankfully, it is not up to you and it is not up to me. But we have to remind ourselves of this lest we fall into the same trap as some people were in Galatia. So, let's preach grace. Let's preach faith. Let's love people. Let's keep the commandments. Faith working through love. But let's not ever think that we're pulling the strings and making everything happen. Let's keep Yahweh on His throne, on that main throne. He is the Almighty. Salvation is by His design. No amount of work that we do could ever save us from our sins. Yahweh forbid that we ever hold up an outward work of law as the means to our forgiveness. Yahweh sent His Messiah to be the means to our forgiveness. He didn't send me or you. He didn't send our works either. May we never focus more on ourselves and what we do over and above Yahweh and what He has accomplished and will accomplish in and through us. Until next month when I pick this back up in Galatians 5, may Yahweh be with you. Hopefully we learned a few things and you were blessed by the sermon.